Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. Church. Good to see you this morning. And if you're watching online, hello. Thanks for joining us. We're in a series on anxiety. So let me tell you a little story about a young man who had some anxiety. He was a fellow who really enjoyed collecting marbles. He had a whole host of marbles that he collected. And he lived in a family where his sister admired those from time to time and had a little secret envy that she might be like to have those marbles. And so one day, Knowing that her brother really was fond of candy, she brought to the table an enormous basket of candy that she knew would be enticing, and she thought, maybe I can get a few of his marbles for myself. Well, as he came and he sat down, she said, hey, would you be willing to trade some marbles for candy? And he said, ah, maybe. And she held up the bag and started shaking it and pointed out all the various kinds of candy in it. And he thought to himself, I really would like that candy. And so she, she could see that he was interested in it, and she was you know, getting some positive feedback from him. And she said, well, I'll tell you what. You could have the whole bag of candy if you gave me all of your marbles. And he thought for a moment, and he's like, oh, my marbles are pretty special to me, and I enjoy collecting them, and there's a couple I'd really like to keep. And she, she just kept pushing the candy forward, and she said, look, look at this candy. I know how much you love chocolate. Look what's in here. Finally, he said, all right. I want the candy, you can have my marbles, let me go to the room and get them. So he went and he got his marbles and he brought them back and they made the exchange. What he didn't tell her was that he had taken some of his marbles and hidden them under the bed so that when he gave her the marbles, telling her that it was all of them, it really wasn't. That night, he started to toss and turn and he couldn't get to sleep for the life of him. He started looking up at the sky, thinking about the transaction, He'd roll on his left side, he couldn't go to sleep. He'd be thinking about what he did to his sister and he'd roll back over to his other side. And finally he sat up in bed and he he thought to himself, I just can't stand it anymore. I'm sure she hid some of her candy from me. Um, You can worry about even things that uh, you're responsible for sometimes, right? And other things Well, there's really nothing you can't worry about. That's the human condition. Almost anything in life can cause us to worry. And we probably had some times this week when we were worrying about things. Some things that might have been small, some things that might have been large. The truth is the reason we're talking about anxiety this month is because the world is filled with tension. There's enough tension in the larger global reality. There's tension in our world for the last several years with with everything happening. And frankly, there's a lot of anxiety in the world. So this month we've been looking at this verse in Philippians chapter 4, these two verses, verses 6 and 7, which is a prescription for anxiety. So let's read it again this morning as we look at our third phrase in this passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So this morning we're going to look at the first two phrases in verse 7. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. And here's what we've looked at so far. That when God tells you not to worry, he just doesn't say, uh, like, uh, like Nike, just do it. Uh, he actually tells you that if you're going to get rid of anxiety, it has to be replaced. And what we've seen so far is you take your anxiety and you give it to God in those five specific ways he talks about there in verse 6. And when you give God your anxiety with thanksgiving and you present your request to God, God in turns takes your action of prayer and gives you, it says here in this passage, his blessings. And what we want to look is that what happens when we pray is that we get these two blessings from God. We want to look at those experiences this morning from the passage. When we pray, we get the shared experience of God's peace. Now, God is not anxious about anything. God is not worried about things. God is not sitting on his throne consumed with anxiety that his plans might not work. One of the things that the Bible tells us about God is he's a sovereign God, he's an all-powerful God, he's an all-knowing God, and he has everything planned out and he has planned for every contingency. Nothing escapes his attention, nothing is beyond his control, and nothing escapes his detail. God made this universe, he's consumed with even the most little minutia within it, and he's big enough and grand enough and great enough to care for all of it. But it says that when we give our anxiety to God, we get something back from God. And it says here, the thing that we get back from God is the peace of God. Now, I want you to, for the next few minutes especially, focus with me on this little word, of. Because in the original language, Paul specifically uses this phraseology, of God, to talk about something that God possesses that he's willing to give to you. Uh, so it, it's, you have a, uh, do you have like a weed sprayer at home? You know, one of those plastic white bottles and you pour in the pesticide or the whatever. And, and you know, after you fill it up, there's a pump handle on the top and you, you pump that thing down. And then you press the button and you go around and you kind of, you know, spray the weeds, right? How does that work? It works like this. By me putting in air... I've now got two things that fill the volume of this particular container. And when I press the release button, out comes the other thing. I pumped in air, but when I press it, out comes fluid. It's th this idea that Paul's talking about here, that when you push your anxieties onto God, that what you receive back from God is this thing that God possesses. So when you, when you look at the phrase... It's, it's a, a phrase of possession and a phrase of production. In fact, when you study out the, the various uh, Greek components of this, uh, there's an argument among Bible scholars as to which one it actually is, and they actually admit that it's both. God possesses this, and God produces this. So that when you cast your anxiety upon him, the thing that comes out of God to you is what the Bible calls shalom. Now you've heard your Jewish friends use the word shalom in a greeting. What does it mean? Shalom is the Hebrew sense of well-being across all of your panels. 
It's the idea that the world is at rest, you are at rest, striving has ceased, and all is well. And it comes from the book of Isaiah, at least part of this teaching from Paul. He reaches back into the Hebrew prophet. He brings it forward to the church. As a Jewish scholar himself, he would have known all of these passages by heart, and he picks on them to try to convey to people who aren't Jewish what it is that God's actually trying to give to them. And what he wants to give to them is shalom. And here's what Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now notice the idea here of the peace that you get as long as your mind is steadfast. So when your mind is on, I'm going to look to God for help, and it's not wavering between picking up your worry again and trying to solve the issue yourself, but rather turning it over to God and giving it to Him, what is the benefit to that of, of that to you in your life? You get what God possesses and what God produces. You get peace as you pray and cast your anxiety upon Him. So it's an exchange. I give God my anxiety. God is willing to give me this thing that he possesses. He's not worried about anything in his universe. He's in control of it, and he gives it to me. Now, interestingly enough, Paul is not teaching in the passage that when you give him your anxiety and you make a prayer request because you want something not to happen or you want something to happen, that somehow this is a guarantee that God will give it to you. Because that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is rooted in the history and teaching of the scriptures as it develops out over time in terms of people's relationship with the king. So let me point you to a passage here in, in Isaiah 32 and 17, which we'll look at here in a moment. The idea that you have this peace of God because you have peace with God. So there's this, there's this movement in Scripture. From the very first pages of Scripture, God makes a promise that he's going to make things right in his world. And he promises that the way he's going to do that is by appointing a king of righteousness who will sit on the throne forever and who will make things right between God and mankind. And so this promise builds itself out over time and here's what had happened as, as God began to make promises to the prophets, as he called out the people of Israel into, into a nation, as King David sat on the throne, and God made King David a promise that it would be his son or his lineage that would sit on the throne forever. Here's what actually happened when you were a kingdom in the Old Testament times, and Paul's drawing upon this narrative to make his comments. In the Old Testament time, there were powerful kings who ruled the earth. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. He ruled the earth. Every kingdom submitted to him. And if you didn't submit to him, he went at war with you until you did submit to him. But if you knew that the powerful king was wanting to take over your empire, you could go to the king and you could stand before him and you could say, I submit my kingship and my kingdom to you. 
Here's what they would do. If you willingly and voluntarily did that, they would grant you a peace treaty. You could stay on the throne. You could rule your land. His armies would not attack you. He would be at peace with you. But in order for you to get that peace, you had to acknowledge his sovereignty. You had to acknowledge that he was all-powerful. And you had to acknowledge that what he had is what you needed. And so when that happened, when the vassal state, that was the submissive state, would go to the king, he would write them a peace treaty, and he would say, you have peace with me, but you not only get my peace, you get all of the blessings that come from being a partner with me. And so here's this passage. This should be Isaiah 32, 17, not 32, 7. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. So what's Isaiah saying? When you make peace with the king, you get these subsequent results. You get quietness and confidence. Of what? That you're not going to be attacked, that your land will be safe, and that you, will be, that you and your family will be secure. Now, he begins to make an application of that between you and your kingdom, which is your life, and the king of kings. And he basically says, there comes a point in time in life when you have to decide whether you are your own king and God or whether God is your king and God. And the fruit of that righteousness when you yield to the king is that you get peace. Peace with the king. So when Paul's talking to the believers that he's writing to, he's saying this, you need to get the peace of God that is available as part of God's possession. But he's also saying this, you can't get that peace unless you first have a peace treaty with God so that you can entreat him for what he has that you need. And so that brings us to the question of how do we get peace with God? Take a look at what the, the Bible says. Paul writes this in Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. He says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is the name of the person that we worship, right? But it's a personal name and the title that he holds. So the Greek word Christos, we translate into English as Christ, is the Hebrew word Messiah, which also reflects his kingship. So when we're using the word Jesus, thank you, when we use that word, we're using his personal name. When we use the word Christ, we're using his title. So when the Bible says just the title, Christ, basically it's telling us that in this position as king, Jesus Christ, Jesus King, Jesus Messiah, that through Jesus, God is reconciling everything to himself. And notice what the passage goes on to say. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. See that? <clears throat> Don't worry, I'm going to get to the water in a second. I know you're all sitting there thinking, when's he going to drink it? <clears throat> in just a minute. <clears throat> but not until after I make this point. <clears throat> 
as the all-powerful king. The Bible says that in his universe, the all-powerful king and the quality of his life and the quality and, and person of who he is, is a holy, just, and righteous God. In addition to being a loving, merciful, kind, and accepting God. However, those things in God's universe have to be placed in proper context. We say the gospel is good news, right? It's good news. Why do we say it's good news? Because God has saved us from something bad. What is it that's bad? God. What? Yes. What does God save you from? He doesn't save you from hell. That's a byproduct of him saving you from his wrath. The Bible says that the wrath of God is poured out against all kinds of unrighteousness. So we know that in this universe, when sin was introduced and people rebelled, that Satan tricked them into rebelling against God, and that of their own volition they rebelled against God, God's been on a, on a, on a plan to make all things right again that people messed up. And in sending Christ, he came to do what? He came to find a way where his wrath and justice could be satisfied so that he could also display his love, his kindness, and his mercy. The solution to God's problem is Jesus Christ. Because God does have a problem. He wants to love you. But he cannot love you if you say in your sin. Your sin separates you from God. And so Jesus Christ came to become a substitute for you. He was willing to receive the wrath of God. It's why he went to a cross. And there on the cross, he gave his blood as a payment for my sin and your sin so that the wrath of God could be satisfied and the love of God could be shared. How do you get peace with God? You can only get peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other means to get it. When Jesus says, hey, I'm the only one that can get you to God, he says that. Last week we looked at his uniqueness, but this week we're looking at the fact that he made the necessary payment at the cross of his blood. The wrath of God was poured out upon Christ so that he even said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we call it good news. Because we have escaped the wrath of God if we've come to Christ and, having made peace with God in Christ, have available to us the peace of God when we come to him because he tells us to come right up to his throne, cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for me. That's what 1 Peter says. So when we think about our anxiety at least part and parcel of getting peace from God is what? That you know he accepts you because he cared for everything in your life that you need. The most important need in your life was met at the cross. And now you can go to God for every other need in your life, including the things that are on your heart. All right, sit with that a minute. <clears throat> the expressed worried concerns on your face. 
for my voice are evident. Thanks, Joe, for the water. All right, now, the passage is not teaching us that when you make a prayer request to God, out of your anxiety, that you're going to get whatever you ask for. That's not what it's teaching. Relating to this idea that there's a king who's sovereign over the universe and that you submit your will to him, what basically you get is this shalom that God gives to know internally that God is going to take care of you and of it, whatever it is, because he's a sovereign king who never makes a mistake, who has you in his hand, you can never be gripped out of his hand, and nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord, right? So when you come to pray, because we've been singing about miracles this morning and we've all witnessed them, but we've also witnessed that sometimes God doesn't do miracles. You ever notice that? Sometimes a person does get cured from cancer, and sometimes they don't. So the passage is not promising. You're anxious about it. You give it to God, and he's going to guarantee what you want. No, it's basically saying when you come to God, he gives you the peace to know that he's in control of it and that you're okay with him. You're all right. Sometimes God's answer is, yes, go. Sometimes God's answer is slow. And sometimes God's answer is no. This is not a promise that your anxiety is relieved. You give it to him and God's going to just do exactly what you want. God's sovereign king and he'll do what he wants. But in the process of you calling upon your king, having given your life to him, guess what will flood your soul? God's got this. And whatever God decides, God's given me a peace that can't be explained, but that sits in my heart. Look at that in one second. The peace of the cross of Jesus Christ not only reconciles us with God, it also reconciles us with one another. Here Paul says, Christ has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when... In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Here's what he's saying. This relates to Jews and Gentiles, but it's true for every relationship that has you experiencing anxiety. The cross of Jesus Christ was meant to free you from the anxiety of broken and failed relationship. The cross just doesn't only go upwards to God. The cross goes outward to your relationships. Now, if you have a relationship, it takes two people coming to the cross, submitting their wills to the cross of Christ, and then Jesus Christ, the third party, the King of Kings, provides peace to both of them, and now instead of warring at one another, they're able to have harmony because the wall of hostility has been broken down. How does that happen? When you get before the cross of Jesus Christ, your spouse gets before the cross of Christ. Your child gets before the cross of Christ. In whatever relationship it is, when those people get all together in front of the cross of Christ, they all have to admit the same thing. That I don't have my act together, that I can't save myself, and that I need Jesus. So when husband and wife come to the cross and say, we need Jesus, it suddenly does amazing things in the healing process that restores peace where hostility has been. But look, let's face it. Any relationship always includes at least two people. 
which means that unless both are willing to come to the cross, there's not going to be the kind of peace that God himself can bring to you in Christ. So it takes, in relationship, everybody coming to the cross, right? And too many times we know because of the hardness of our hearts and because of past history, sometimes it's hard to reconcile because the hurts are so deep and the pain is so, so harsh. Well, Jesus still points you to that solution. And when the peace of God comes, the Bible says here that it transcends all understanding and we get this second blessing from God. We get an experience that can't be measured. Now, I know we live in a world where many people have been taught just trust the science. Whatever can be measured, whatever can be proven, that's the only thing you can believe. And of course, we come as Christians to the Word of God, and we're told that we're more than just physical beings, that we're also spiritual beings. We're told that there is a whole unseen realm of things that exist, but that to be able to understand that realm, you have to have spiritual ears to hear. To be able to see it, you have to have spiritual eyes to see. To be able to comprehend it, your spirit itself has to be changed by God who can't be seen because he's a spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. And those who've come to know Christ know this to be true. When you meet Jesus, an entire new part of the universe opens up to you that you never knew existed. You thought the whole time the only thing that was real was the thing you could step on and stand on and touch or smell or see. And God's word says that the spirit of God is like a wind that blows and you can't determine where it's going. That there's an entire realm of experience and existence that will never open up to us until we come to the cross, the door of Jesus Christ, the door opens up and we are brought into a whole new realm of living. And part of the realm of living that is available to believers is that as they turn it over to God in prayer, a peace comes that can't be measured in human terms. It transcends understanding. And if you could explain it, it wouldn't transcend understanding. But I'm sure that there are some of us sitting in this room who've gone to God with burdens on our heart, we've turned them over to the Lord, and the Lord has met us, and we know something happened inside of us that changed our life. January 27th, 1989, 11.14 a.m. That's when my life was changed. One minute I was one thing, and the next minute I was something else, and I don't know what exactly it was that happened, only that it did. Well, God tells me what happened. God opened my eyes. He freed my spirit. He gave me an understanding, and it was all of him because I wasn't searching for it. I didn't even know I needed it. It just came. When you bring things to God, if you're right with God, you're going to get things from God, and the things that come from God can't always be explained by the humanness of the world in which we live or the science in which we live. And in fact, this word actually says that this peace is better than facts because facts give you knowledge. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. 
When the peace of God comes, it brings with it all of its associates, joy and kindness and humility and long-suffering and all of these things. Because you see, the fruit of the Spirit never just shows up by itself. It always shows up with its friends. So Paul's basically saying to the believers at Philippi here, look, I know you have a reason to be worried. God doesn't deny that you have reasons to be worried. Worried about your kids, worried about your work, worried about some situation in life, things that are out of your control. Worry is a normal part of life for the person who's born into this world. And Jesus has a lot to say to his own disciples about, stop worrying. Trust me, God will take care of you. And so Paul says, look, you need to give this to God and you need to get back from God the thing that he wants to give you. Which means that in this passage, there's some of us sitting here this morning who need the peace of God. And there's some of us sitting here this morning who need peace with God. Because you don't know if your soul is really right with God because you've never come to the cross of peace that Jesus Christ offers. And so this morning, as we close... I want to invite two different things to happen. You see the prayer board over here to my left and to your right. Uh, You should have received some prayer cards coming in, but there's also prayer cards over there. It might be that you are carrying some kind of anxiety in your soul this morning, and that needs to be turned over to God. And you need to, to receive back from God the peace of God that transcends all understanding. So... If you have that kind of anxiety, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take one of those prayer cards, and I'm going to ask you to write the anxiety on the card. You don't have to put your name on it, but you can write your anxiety on the card. And when you leave here this morning, you take that card over, and you put it on that board. Now, people are going to pray for that card, but here's what I want you to understand. You are being obedient to Philippians 4. You are taking what God said in his word, and you are saying, God, here is my anxiety. I need you to give me your peace over this. And I'm placing it on this board today as an act of faith, believing that you are going to settle my soul about the thing that's so disrupting to it today. And what does God say? The peace of God that passes all understanding. Right? That's what you get. Now, how's it going to come to you? Well, it's not going to come if you pick back up that anxiety, right? God gives you peace if your mind is steadfast on him. So as you give him that anxiety, your faith has to be steadfast that he's going to give you his peace. And you can ask for it and, in fact, tell God, I've done what your word says, now give me your peace. And he will give you peace. And I can't explain how it's going to happen, or when it's going to happen, but I know that it will happen because the God of peace wants you to have his peace. And as you turn it over to him, you're going to receive back something that he possesses in full and that he also produces in you as you pray. That's one invitation for you. The second invitation to you is this. It might be that you're sitting here and you're never going to get your prayers past the ceiling because you don't have peace with God. You can't get the peace of God without peace with God. And maybe you've never come to the cross of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who died for you, who paid for your sin, who shed his blood at Calvary so that the wrath of God could be satisfied. God could cover your sin with the blood of Jesus and pour out on you his love in abundance because you're now his child. 
And it's possible you've never made peace with the king of kings regarding your own kingdom inside the throne of your heart that you sit upon. And so here's my invitation to you today. Jesus is waiting to pour out his love on you. But he can't do that if you're his enemy. He can't give you shalom. He can't make you right with God. He can only do that if you come of your own volition and yield your will to his. He will, he will enjoin you to come to him. He will plead with you to come to him. He will invite you to come to him. He will get, he will get into, the, into the position of dying on the cross to have you come to him. But he will not force you to come to him. He respects your dignity. <coughs> he respects your will. And while he will invite you, and while he will plead with you, and while he will ask you to come to him, he will never force you. Which means that the only way to get the blessing of the king of kings to have your sins removed is to take your kingdom of your heart and your will and to bow before the king of kings and to say, Jesus, I yield myself to you. I need a savior because I cannot save myself. My sins have separated you from me and I need those removed. And if you do that, what does the Bible say that the conquering king will do? He will give you the righteousness of peace, confidence, and rest. But you have to do that. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do today. If you've never made peace with God, today is an opportunity for you to do so. And in the back of your chairs, there's a yes card. And what I want you to do, if you need to know Christ, if you want to come and give your life to Christ, is to take one of those yes cards and to write your name on it and to take it when we end here and pin that thing on that wall. And if you pin that thing on the wall, someone from our staff will be with you quickly to make sure that you understand the confidence and boldness you can have now that you've given your life to Christ. So those are the two invitations today. God wants you to have his peace if you're struggling with anxiousness. God wants you to be at peace with him if you've not yet done so. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible also says that the love of God cannot be separated from you, and he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Are you in perfect peace today? Is it well with your soul? If you were to die tonight, will you be facing your father who will wrap his arms and bring you to himself? Or will you be facing your judge because you never gave your life to the one who made peace with God? I invite you today, give your anxiety to him. Get the peace of God or make peace with God. Jesus, I pray that we will respond as the Spirit of God leads us. Now as we sing these songs in closing, may your Spirit guide us and direct us and give us relief this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.